Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, y'all, it's Amber, and this is a friendly reminder that our podcast, The Sci-Fi Side, is sponsored by listeners just like you. We just had Jazz A join the Patreon, and you can too. You can find the link to our Patreon in the show notes or the episode notes right below, and you can give literally like $1 a month, $5 a month, $10 a month, whatever you prefer to pledge. So go ahead and check out that link, and remember, at the end of the month, we always do book giveaways. Shout out to Morley, who just won our last book giveaway. Also, patrons, every time we do it, interview we include that visual zoom links that you can see me ben and the author as we have that fun discussion so you can check that out for today's interview as well also if you're like amber we just can't give right now i ain't got no money that's all right we understand the finances are rough so another way to support us is to give an apple podcast rating it's completely free to share the news of the sci-fi side even if you hate the show just leave some sort of feedback for us so that we can use that feedback and just be even better as we start to close out the year i just checked the apple podcast rating from aaron a it says so so good love hearing you guys that's it that's all you have to leave so be sure to leave an apple podcast rating or join our patreon if you can now let's get started with the show Welcome to the Sci-Fi Sci, under the Believe Podcast Network. It's a podcast about black science fiction, fantasy, and staying on the same page of our marriage. Today is episode 51, and we have an interview, y'all, and it is going to be good. Trust me, trust me, trust me. We had so much fun speaking with this author. The author is Cadwell Turnbull. So let's talk a little bit about Cadwell, right? He is the winner of the 2014 NCSU Prize for Short Fiction, and he attended Clarion West in 2016. His short fiction has appeared in The Verge, Lightspeed, Nightmare, and Asimov's science fiction. His Asimov's short story, When the Rain Comes Back, made Barnes and Noble's sci-fi and fantasy short fiction roundup in April 2018. And the books that we're going to be talking about today in this spoiler-free episode are The Lesson, which we've recapped in the past, and his new book, No Gods, No Monsters, which is a part of a trilogy. Don't be fooled. I was fooled. I didn't know that. And I was like, wait, where's the rest of this story? And then I found out it was a trilogy. So be sure to get your copy of No Gods, No Monsters, and now sit back, relax, and enjoy this really great, just authentic, emotional interview interview with Cadwell Turnbull. All right. So welcome to the Sci-Fi Sci. And we are here today with Cadwell Turnbull, author of the award-winning novel, The Lesson, and also author of the upcoming novel, No Gods, No Monsters, which is the first book that Amber and I ever received an advanced copy of. And there's nothing more bad. Yeah. Yeah. So there's nothing more badass than like reading uh, an advanced reader edition out in public and people are like what are you reading i'm like you can't read this until <laughs> september i have uh quite oh a few that's instagram great followers. i have a few instagram followers and ben was just like reading it in the background of one of my videos and someone clocked it they were like how did you get a copy of that um, oh snap you have a couple of people who are like wait is that his new book when is that coming out and i was like relax uh we we're talking to him, so we got a copy. You'll be able to wait. Uh, so that was oh, that's me. great. I started following you all on Instagram, and I just love your videos. Oh yay! Thank you. So yeah, much. and I've been sharing them with my wife, and um, someone actually tagged me um, yesterday, um, saying that you were reading the lesson. Like there was a video about you buying him a game that was like out of print. Battlestar yes, Ga- Battle Gal- Galactica. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I was like, oh, wow, very cool. Also, I just, you know, love that, like, little little bit. 
Yes. Yeah. Well, in all seriousness, um, so like full disclosure, like the night actually Amber went to New Orleans recently um, is also the night I started No Gods, No Monsters. And Amber was like trying to get freaky like the night she went out of town for like three days. And literally like Cadwell, like you sex blocked Amber because I did not put this book down for like the first section. And I just love the structure. Like, I'm reading about werewolves. Get, get, get away. <laughs> <laughs> but, but in all seriousness, the way this uh, No Gods and No Monsters is structured, right? It feels like each section is a novella. And then each chapter at moments feels like these little vignettes. And it, I was curious about like the intentionality behind that structure. If you could talk a little bit about that. Okay, right. Um... Yeah, when I was when I was working on the lesson, I was in grad school at the time. I started out with a short story, um, "Let Them Talk." It was the one where Derek meets the um, where he's like working with the alien ambassador. That was my very first piece from that from that book, and I started writing other parts of the book that way. And I didn't know it was a novel yet. And um, my my advisor at the time was like, "This is probably a novel." And it took me a while for me to figure that out. And also novels are intimidating. So it was kind of my back way in. I was just exploring the world. And then I noticed that there were like these threads that were connecting and, you know, building towards an overarching narrative. And I started being intentional about that about a third of the way through. And so when I, when I worked on No Gods, No Monsters, um, when I started, I was wondering, what if I tried to do this in a more intentional way? And so I structured it in this kind of um, independent stories that build into a larger story um, mosaic. And it's, it's kind of become my thing. I think it's, it's how my brain naturally works. And so I kind of build my stories out that way, multiple perspectives, and then they they reach to a climax. I, I thought you were about to say something. But I, I really kind of want to talk about the multiple multiple um perspectives for a second mm-hmm. because you you write women incredibly well um it's a fun so i'm not sure how much ben has shared with you about this podcast but we do exclusively like black sci-fi and fantasy black authors and um you know sometimes when it's like a male director i'm just like let me just you know <laughs> let, let me like go in knowing that there might or, or a male author i'm like there's probably not gonna be a lot of female characters and if, if they are they're sort of like in the background and i was just okay. jaw on the floor from like the very first I, I think you have more women characters in both books uh and and queer characters and asexual characters so can you talk about how you have like kept that at the forefront of your writing because your your women characters are just so dynamic and they're heroes and it's it's so crazy for me to think like there was a couple times I was like did a man write this like let me just confirm (laughs) so please how many aunties sisters wives did you have to talk to to like (laughs) how many wives do you have um no I really appreciate you saying that because I I personally worry about that all the time. You know, I, I do write, I do try to write um, perspectives that are different from mine. And my concern is always that, did I, did I do that right? Is that um, actually working on the page? And um, honestly, I just grew up around a lot of women, you know, like that, you know, the women were around, you know, we had really strong, you know, matriarchs on both sides of my family. And um, 
you know, my grandmother spoiled me rotten. So I just had a lot of, you know, interactions. My sister, you know, is a is a big part of my life. My mom is 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 fantastic. And so I borrow a lot from from the women around me. Um, I have cousins and aunts that have just been around. And um, yeah, I try to bring that into the story as much as possible. I try to try to, you know, make make the women that I write, especially because I'm writing about women from the Virgin Islands and um, women from the Virgin Islands can be a bit, and I've heard some um, readers comment on this. They seem a little bit like blunt, you know, a little, mm-hmm. a little rough. Like characters uh, in both stories got kicked out of the house. <laughs> right. Like, you know, you just get out. And I was right. just like, that is so true. I have a, a cousin from St. Thomas. She married into the family. And she is like, oh, wow. just, just get out of my face. Like, like very. That's my sister to a T. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was like, this feels very Caribbean, very West Indian. So uh, continue. I cut you off. But I, I got so excited with those women are just like, like get out of here. Or, no, or absolutely. A woman, woman's an ambassador. It's just so exciting. Yeah, I just, you know, trying to be as accurate as I possibly can and represent, um, you know, bring in, you know, these women from my lives, you know, like um, Henrietta, the grandmother from The Lesson is, is like an amalgam of like, you know, a great aunt, you know, my grandmother, my mom, you know, she's, she's a lot of people in one. And um, yeah, I just, I just, just try real hard and hope for the best. And I, you know, I think that the, when when I talk to people from back home, they're like, yeah, this reminds me of my, this is my grandmother. And I feel like I accomplished it. Like I did a good job when I, when I hear that, that it feels accurate to the, you know, the St. Tomian experience specifically. The, um, there, there's a nuance to this. Uh, so it's like mothers and then grandmothers. And there is something that Henrietta really resonated with me because Sometimes I go back and forth with my mom about like the content Ben and I are posting on social media. You know, she's mm. she's all she's all on the apps and she just won't unfollow me. Just unfollow me, damn it. And so she's every other day texting me like, this is inappropriate. This is whatever. And we're at a point now where my grandmother is even sometimes being like, just leave her alone. Like it's fine. Just let her do the thing. And I really, um, as Henrietta sort of went had this eternal conflict of like being super religious and sort of like. Uh, did the the healing through a different measure and debating those two it it just really reminded me of my grandmother in that way of being like maybe like these strict beliefs I once held on to are are not serving me in the same way and I'm not going to speak out against them but that just felt so nuanced even though you know my family are all based in the U.S. but I just want to thank you for that like the nuance of the generation skip even felt like this is really like like someone who intimately knows their like elders and ancestors. I just so appreciate that. Thank you. Appreciate that. That means a lot to me. Um, speaking of that, I do want to say in the same bank, I have, you handle all of your characters with such care. Uh, I'm a actor improviser. So we have a saying in acting that's like protect the freak. So if somebody comes mm-hmm. out in a scene and they're just being real crazy, you don't say something like, uh, did you take your pills today, grandma? You, you, you have to, you should play along with whatever they're doing. And I think right. in your stories, you do a really great job of like, like three pages in, here is the monster. And this monster has rights and this monster has a whole experience. So can you talk a little bit about like how in some stories that monster is like under the bed and we'll see them like in the second book or so, but in this book, it's like, here they are. Like, I'd love to hear what your thought process was behind that. 
Right. I mean, I guess, you know, a big influence on the, on No Gods, No Monsters was, you know, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I, I don't know if, okay. Um, you know, I was a huge fan of that growing up. You know, I, I watched it every time it came on, at, you know, in the evenings, I would stay up late and watch it. And then once, you know, there were box sets, I would get the box sets and watch them religiously. And, you know, in, in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, they, the monsters weren't, always out and about they were definitely underground and not everyone knew they existed but in Sunnydale in particular you could kind of tell um that the the powers that be within the city knew that monsters were there and they were kind of like they would wink and nod at them or kind of like turn the other way and then you had um you know the the members of the Scooby-Doo gang who would hang out with some monsters and some of them would become monsters you know Willow became a witch and um um, the Oz was a werewolf and, you know, Angel and Spike were kind of like meandering from time to time. And I was always just moved by those kind of um, intersectional stories where you would, you would explore these human characters, but alongside characters that were monsters, but were sympathetic or they had their own, their own struggles or they had their own arcs. And that became like um, something that I wanted to do with the book. I wanted to take the the monsters from under the bed, so to speak, and kind of give them um, some humanity, you know? And also because I was writing from, you know, about creatures from Caribbean folklore, I feel like we the stories that we get about, you know, like the Sukuyant and the, you know, the Wu-Wu and Obia, um, they, they tend to be from, you know, the monsters as antagonist. And I was, I was just very interested in like, well, you know, these, these, um, these monsters are Caribbean too. And what what are their experiences as monsters being, you know, from those those backgrounds and those identities? It just became important to me. One of my favorite uh, scenes in No Gods and No Monsters is because uh, part of the reason it's my favorite is um, I I spent two years in an intentional community, sort of like co-op, and uh, we would have these like house meetings and bring up you know, things that were said. And it was, uh, I think, you know, everyone in the house was queer. And so we would, you know, talk about a lot of identity, um, you know, just just a lot about our identities. And there was definitely conflict. And you have this scene where this co-op who does a lot of like political activism sort of discusses whether they're going to make the decision to include monsters in their political activism. And I was definitely like trigger trigger <laughs> like, just like <laughs> the cause there because it's it you have to have these intense conversations when you're living in community if you're doing political organizing mm-hmm. i was a union um uh you know delegate for a while and it gets messy it's just messy and i feel like you captured the messiness uh really well um and then and then that that meeting sort of takes takes a turn that i never had uh which i will not spoil um just it, anyway can you talk a little bit about writing uh, and including an intentional community, a co-op in your story and uh, what, ta- what kind of research you did? Okay. Um, okay. I, I'll tell the, the longer story. So when I was in my MFA, I was, I was thinking about some science fiction story I wanted to write. And I was imagining, um, you know, extrapolating some near future thing where a community, you know, um, a marginalized community would like, pool their resources together and create stability for themselves. And I was like, it would be great if that existed. Let me envision it. And then I looked it up and it was, you know, I found that, you know, co-ops are a thing. 
Um, you know, there, there are, there are intentional communities, as you, as you mentioned, where they, you know, they're attached to businesses and they create stability as a group and that sort of thing. And I just got really excited about that idea. And, um, you know, one thing led to another, I started like going to like meetups, co-op meetups in, in, in Boston once I moved and, um, I got connected to a group called um, Grassroots Economic Organizing. They're a collective of um, people. Some, m- many of them are either co-op members or you know, co-op housing, co-op, you know, um, worker-owned co-ops, that sort of thing, or they were former members of co-ops. And they write about cooperatives, you know? And so I attended a few meetings, joined the collective, and we would have conversations like this where we would discuss, you know, the send collective in the book is is very much inspired by geo um and we would have conversations about making room you know you know like co-ops not cops you know where we would address issues like police brutality you know in the co-op movement and then you know there would be different people in that group you know some of them older and white you know some of them a little bit more conservative some of them you know really radical and queer and not everyone would line up on the same you know on the same stuff they would disagree and there would be debates, there'd be arguments. And we would try to, we try to do them in a reasonable way that like, um, that like check system is very much, it's real, <laughs> you know, like the, you know, you're asking to be on stack and then saying something and then saying check when you're done. Um, but those things tend to, um, in the heat of the moment, sometimes occasionally fall apart when people are getting, you know, a bit like, um, you know, um, energetic about what they're talking about. And so I just wanted to represent that really well. And then I thought it would be really fun to just like throw monsters into the mix. So yeah, that's, that's where it comes from. And, you know, oh man, I, it was a, it was a blast writing that scene because I was like, how weird can I make this scene? You know, it starts off with this very like, um, you know, you know, pretty low key would be, you know, boring to most people meeting where they're talking about fundraising. (laughs) And then things just kind of like go off the tracks. I yeah, that's one of my favorite scenes. I mean, talk about going off the tracks like no gods, no monsters. You're like you throw in these huge monster world building. Right. I'm like, this is great. And then you're like, let me just ranch this up. Let me throw in alternate worlds. And and there's this great bit of you. You explain the parallel world theory, which is this idea where if you shoot a, an electron at um, like two sort of, uh, I guess, slits, um, mm-hmm. it, the electrons start going crazy and it, the electron won't choose a direction until you look at it. And so it's almost, it's almost as if the electron is in living in two uh, states at the same time. Did I explain that decently? Yeah, you did. Yeah. You, you did a much <laughs> I better I like, job. I had to reread that page like 10 times. I was like, it's- <laughs> it took me so long to be able to even explain that a understand what was being said and then b explain it well um or explain it to the best of my ability it's such a trippy thing and it feels like magic and i you know it was one of those things where i was like i'm gonna make this magic you know there's there's um there's some there's some plans for the for the series where that that stuff will keep coming back up and um yeah no it was it was really challenging to write that section. I, I love it because 
what happens though is that you center this alternate world amidst um, two folk who are struggling with family members who have drug addiction. And I noticed like you do this a lot, um, Cadwell, where you, pre you present this fantastic speculative element, but then you hone in on like a relationship. And the speculative, speculative element sort of re revolves around an intimate relationship. And it was just really um, like touching at moments. Like I have family members who struggle with drug addiction. And there are moments where I had to like definitely put this book down. Um, Amber and I watched The Pharmacist uh, over during um, COVID, which is a Netflix series about drug addiction. And I just, oh, wow. uh, I, I, it's really good. Um, if you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. I but need I to check it out. Yeah, it's really, really good. Um, and I wanted to hear what kind of research you did about writing characters who are struggling with uh, drug addiction, because I, I felt like you did it with a lot of care, a lot of intimacy, and it was really, really powerful. That's a that's a really good question. Um, I did I did a bit of research, but to be honest, you know, the the reason I you know brought that into the story was because I was bringing it from personal experience. That it was something that I was definitely pulling directly from life, and you know, having having conversations with family members about you know people in our family that struggle with addiction. Um, my dad struggled with addiction. And so um, a lot of that was just hitting really close to home. And I remember when I was doing the research for Hugh Everett's Many World Principle, I like read, you know, his, it was a biography. And all of those sections where they were talking about that stuff kind of just struck me. And it was, it was a very thorough book. It was not just um, his life as a as a physicist, but his his entire his entire experience, his his relationship with his mom, his relationship with his wife, his relationship with his children, and there was just so many parallels um, that I found to my own life. You know, this kind of like um, father figure that's a bit absent, absent in a different way than my father was. But I I found those connections, and you know, the um, his daughter struggling with addiction. I found that as a connection as well, and it just became. Um, as I was working on that section in particular, that section actually was written before much of the book. And um, I just, I tried to make those parallels as strong as possible because I felt like that that's the emotional core of the story. And then the many world stuff is the, the, um, the stuff around it. That's the, that's the way that I'm getting into this story. There's... <clears throat> something that really hit home a part of that is um like my sister struggled struggles and continues to struggle with addiction and there are moments where you know she's gotten a job and she is not doing drugs and and you feel like yes this is good and there's like a moment oh my god i'm getting a little emotional but with like Corey, yeah like yeah like there's a moment um in the book where sorry um i thought okay. i thought i could get i thought i could get this question out Appreciate you, man. Uh, but oh, oh, all right, we're gonna edit all this out. But no, there's a have. moment in the book where you have um, a character who, like, you know, puts on a suit and is like, "I'm gonna make the decision. This is the day," and like gets a job and is working. And just that that up and down is captured so well. And I was like, I I know this man has like it just felt so honest and so real. And to juxtapose this with like this fantastical element, 
of many worlds where you're thinking like there is a world in which, you know, the drugs were never tried. There is a world with like, where the, you know, you know, my sister's kids are with her, you know, there is that world. And it was just, it really put the mini worlds theory and like almost um, like uh, a therapeutic uh, practice, like thinking mm -hmm. in the mini worlds and a, a therapeutic practice. Um, and I just thought that was like, so just so powerful. That scene really hit. So we know God's no monsters folk. It is therapeutic. <laughs> it is very therapeutic. I appreciate um, you for saying that. Yeah, I've, I've seen that, you know, you know, there, you know, with, with my dad in particular, you know, just knowing that he was trying it, it, I, when I was in um, high school, I had a conversation with someone that worked with my mom, but knew my dad pretty intimately. And he, and she was a, she was a friend of his, but she also was struggling with addiction along the same time um, that he was. And this was, you know, during the era of um, um, the crack cocaine epidemic. And this was happening in the Virgin Islands as well, you know, not even, not even you. Um, and, and she, she, she was able to get sober and she had, you know, had a, you know, a, a great job. And, you know, she saw me, she would say hi to me all the time. And then, you know, one day she was like, you know, I, I knew your dad and I knew, you know, I was there when he was struggling and I was struggling with him and I, and I got out and I still feel like this kind of, there's this, cause you know, she was a good friend of his, um, you know, like, survivor's guilt like like how did I get out and and he didn't get out but it's, it's this kind of I feel like it's that many worlds idea applied right it's like two people in in you know relatively the same place one of them finds their way out it didn't really happen that way with my dad but um it was one of you know and she she got like you know emotional when she was talking about it and then you know it really stick stuck with me it's one of those things right it's like you know, I, in my own life, it's, it's not addiction, but in my own life, there's things that I know that I want to get right. And I'm like, today I'm going to get this right. You know, just, you know, like I struggle with um, ADHD, for example, and sometimes it's, it's hard for me to, to focus and get, you know, do the things that I need to do in a, in a time frame that I need to do them. And I have all of these coping mechanisms for it, but every morning it, you know, at the beginning of the day, I'm like, this is going to be the day that I get everything right. And, you know, it's so hard to, to do that. And I can't imagine what it's like to deal with addiction, you know, and have to struggle against it. And each day is a new struggle. It's not, you can beat a day and then the next day gets you. And it's, it's one of those things where I wanted to um, approach it with empathy. I have really complicated feelings towards my father. Um, but it was a healing experience for me writing that because I, you know, try to empathize with what that would be like from, you know, from Corey's perspective. And um, the fact that Cal still loves his brother, even though his brother is, you know, doing all of these things that he doesn't agree with. And, you know, he's scared for his brother. And you can see moments where his brother is trying. And he's just, you know, these things. Yeah. Um, well, I had a horrible next question, but I'm just going to rip the bandaid <laughs> off. Uh, you do. So I, I, I'll, let me give you a little context. 
I really appreciate stakes. I appreciate mm-hmm. high stakes. Um, and so I, I hate when I watch a movie and no one dies, even though, <laughs> or, or a character has a cold and they don't die. I'm like, and oh, no one is struggling with a drug addiction. It's the worst. No, I, not, not I to go, make it trauma porn. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, here you go watching your trauma porn. But I, you are not afraid to kill characters. <laughs> like high stakes character. I don't want to spoil anything, but I remember the lesson. I was like, oh, that person's not coming back. Okay, next <laughs> next chapter. Um, and so I, I, I would love to talk about how you sort of have navigated that because like, like do you start a project thinking like, or I, I'll say Ben and I are really good. Ben is, has read everything in the world. So whenever we not watch true. a movie or something, he's like, oh, these three people are going to die or this person's going to die. It's already set up that way. And either they die or they don't. But I... Every death that I thought was going to happen, like some of those happened and then others happened. So I would love to hear, like, do you go into a story thinking I'm going to kill this person or do you write it and you're just like, well, now that I've built this world, this is what happens at this protest. This is what happens on this island. I'd love to hear like how you go into that process as a writer. Right. I want to say first, right, there's, there, there is a, you know, big difference between trauma porn, like relishing in, you know, violence and people dying and trying to be real about how the world works, <laughs> you know, like, you know, there's there's a character in the lesson that that dies. And one of the reasons why I think it was important for that character to die is because I, I was very interested in like, what if you have goals again you know this is this goes back to the conversation around like struggling with addiction what if you have goals for your life or for your community and you try to make them happen and you just don't make it because that's how it works right we've seen this with um you know you know great black leaders we see this with you know people like mlk and and malcolm x and um fred freddie hampton um where you see all of that promise and you know all of that potential there and it's dashed because the world is really complicated and messy and um it to me that's important too when talking about or exploring um social movements and conflicts in the social sphere you you have to be realistic about that fact that it's dangerous and you get and you can't you can't write the story and you know I sometimes get frustrated with stories where there's a single protagonist that just does everything just perfectly. Everything lines up and all of these like improbable things happen that they just, just dance through because they they just have, they're the luckiest person on the planet. And, yes, you know, this is what I'm talking about right here. Right. I hate that. Right. Oh. In the real world, that doesn't happen. Right. And, you know, um, it's, it's different watching an action movie. Like I, I can watch the, the fast franchise and just enjoy it. Just turn my brain off and just be like, you know, yeah, sure. He got caught by a car. That's that happens. But, um, when I'm one, when I'm writing a story that I want to feel real, I feel like that stakes, those stakes have to be there. It has to be, there has to be an amount of danger or else the, it doesn't make sense on the character level. What these characters are afraid or they're worried or they're concerned um they care about people around them and they want to protect them and that happens through loss you experience you know danger in the world and you you in you incorporate that into your 
your activism into your work, into the way that you love people. And that, that you have to be able to see that in the stories that you tell as well, or the stories that you read. And so, yeah, I, I do try to, you know, I felt like with the lesson in particular, I felt like I overdid it. <laughs> um, there was times over the bodies were piling. Up right, right. <laughs> there, there was times between when the book was finished and before the book came out. You know, in its arc, arc era, where I would just wake up at some nights, like in a cold sweat, like, oh my god, I killed so many people in this book. <laughs> Why did I do that? You know, you know, and then I, you know, had all kinds of thoughts about like, you know, this is this is St. Thomas, this is my community. You know, I, I felt all kinds of guilt as if they were real. Mm. They were, you know, they're fictional, fictional characters, but I'm like, that's it. That's a lot of people, you know? And what am I saying? You know, and I tried to end the lesson, you know, on a hopeful note. Like I definitely see it as, you know, tragedy and hope, but I, that stuff, it, you know, it weighed on me. And when I started writing No Gods, No Monsters, I was like, well, people are going to die. But I try to, I try to temper that. I was like, I'm not going to kill as many people this time. <laughs> um, you know, well, you know, it's a trilogy. So who knows what's going to happen in the next two. But yeah, um, some of it I do to answer your question. Some of it I do because it makes story sense or it makes character sense or it's saying something thematically that I think is really important to say. Um, occasionally, I'm writing a character and I realize that they're going to die. Um, mm. And then there are other characters that I, that I set up to die from the beginning. I'm like, they're going to die because they are, I'm modeling them off of someone or I'm thinking of what role they have within the story. Um, and the, the goal there is to still create that character and flesh them out and make them a full human and, and give that death meaning. Like, I feel like, I try to avoid meaningless death. You know, I feel like each death in the story has weight and value. Um, and I feel like that's different than, you know, trauma porn or just like killing like people slash, off for the, yeah, yeah for the sake of it. Yeah. Right. So it's a balancing act of those two things, like recognizing that you have to kill people, people die. And then recognizing that if you're going to do that, it can't be cheap. Uh, on the on the topic of messiness, uh, you do have a lot of messy relationships in your stories. Uh, let's actually talk about discipline. Um, Amber, you want to share that story where you talk back to uh, your mama and she, uh, you know. Yeah, well, I'm a black child, so of course <laughs> I've gotten into rumbles and tumbles with my yeah. parents. Uh, well, well, I got spanked all the time growing up. Uh, you know where I'm going with this? Same. Well, yeah, you know? no, no. Yeah, okay, I know. Okay. I know. Okay. All right. So, so you want to share that story when you were in the kitchen? I, the story yeah, it's not up. that elaborate. Well, well, please don't cancel my mom, whoever's listening out there. Uh, but, well, you know, one time I was just like me, I was 16 and I, I think I was asking my mom for help with something and she was like, I'm not doing this right now, whatever. And I, I put my hand on her shoulder being like, no, I need help with this. And she um, I, I had a reflex, if you will, <laughs> and just laid my ass out. So I was like, what is happening? Um, 
yeah that's the story yeah <laughs> I, I mean without and, getting her like arrested <laughs> well and that's the thing is that you know your mother is like the sweetest kindest person and you know amber and i we've talked a lot you know if we you know when we have kids we read um all about love by bell hooks i don't know if you've ever read it um oh, but it sort of no. changed it's it's really good it sort of changed how we approach like uh, corporal punishment or spanking and mm-hmm. um you have a really incredible scene where there's a moment <laughs> that amber experienced uh, but and you have a scene like that in No Gods and No Monsters, and you approach it. Uh, you sort of have this exploration of corporal punishment and uh, you know decisions to spank or not spank. And uh, I just thought it was done really, really well. Um, and also like exploring what that means if you are you know um, an immigrant and you're making these decisions in a context that is different than yours. And so, can you talk a little bit about that exploration? of uh, corporal punishment and spanking and all that good stuff. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I got, yeah, I, I want to be careful too because yeah, people get canceled out here for this stuff and I want to like blast <laughs> right. my- book hasn't even f- dropped yet. Right. Family members. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I have experienced um, that form of discipline. I think a lot of um, people from black families have people, people of color, people from the Caribbean for sure. Um, this is- that's the way, <laughs> you know, that's the, that's how you train your kids up. Um, but I, I luckily had a mom, I'll say this very carefully. I luckily had a mom that was, um, didn't, didn't want that for her kids. You know, like she, she, she had some experiences with my grandmother who was very much pro, you know, disciplining children. And sometimes in ways that, you know, Later on, was I, you know, hearing the stories, I was like, that's dramatic, <laughs> you know, like, um, yeah. and so, you know, she, she wanted that to not be how she, she treated her kids, but, you know, we were terrorists, like, you know, my brother, <laughs> my brother in particular, I, I was the, I was the kid that wasn't necessarily a terror, but I would like argue, I always had like a rationale, and I'm like, here's why you being mad at me is wrong, you know, <laughs> you know? And so I would just debate my mom and my mom would just be exasperated with me. It makes um, sense. It, you've right. written two novels, right? right. Of course this, you have something to say. <laughs> these are both arguments with my mom. Um, but yeah, um, you know, we, you know, we, we weren't always the best children. And sometimes we would, we would test my mom's patience and, you know, she wasn't, she, she didn't always like, you know, follow through on her, you know, no corporal punishment rule. I'll put it that way. And I, I think that's really interesting. You know, like I, I think that that's a, um, an interesting thing to explore with, um, with parents who have the best intentions at heart, but, you know, their kids test them. And, you know, Rebecca is not the easiest daughter, you know, and he, you know, he would, you know, there's a character, her, her father was having a particularly bad day and things, things happened. And it becomes it becomes this like dark cloud over the rest of their relationship, partly because they had chosen not to do this. You know, it, it was like they were not used to that at all. Um, even though you know, for Caribbean parents, that it that is a norm. Like most people would be like, "What he hit you once?" <laughs> you know, like right. like you can count on one hand how many times yeah. you hit your friend. It's like, come on, come on, this is not an issue. But because they had not done it, because they cared about that you know, so much and they, you know, refrained from it, it 
when it did happen out of anger, out of frustration, out of a particularly vulnerable moment, it became like a big thing in, in the family. And um, yeah, I, I, I found that interesting, like more than the exploration of, of parents that just decide that they're going to be their kids all the time or parents that don't at all, that like what happens if you, you choose not to do it, but because of, you know, situations or a context or because of, you know, cultural background, even you slip up, you know, and um, how to explore that in a way that doesn't absolve the father, but also doesn't paint him as a a villain either. You know, you know, I was trying really hard to not be like corporal punishment is okay, everyone, but also, you know, say, I, I think in, you know, in this case it's complicated. And I think that, you know, that relationship um, Rebecca feeling some remorse for not, you know, forgiving him, I think is um, reasonable from her perspective. And, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't strike me as, I'm just interested in like creating these gray, these gray areas and exploring them and creating moments for empathy. And it, it, it you know, it's, it's one of those things. It's one of those things that, yeah, um, I, I've experienced as I'm sure a lot of people have, both of you have. And, you know, I, I still, I still love my mom to death. You know, I love my grandmother, even though I knew. I had to like pull my own switch out. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> you know, and, you know, you know, talking about, I feel like I'm, this is like therapy about my dad today. Um, talking about my dad again. Um, there's things about, there's things I know about him that are unforgivable, you know? And then there's things that I, you know, things I, you know, experienced, you know, firsthand. Um, but there's also things I know about him that makes me, um, you know, definitely at moments like this where I, I'm doing something and I'm proud of it. I wish he was here. Mm-hmm. Like I do have fond memories of like going to Burger King and eating ice cream with him. You know, and so it's one of those things like you you try to create people that are flawed and you try to give them room, you know, to be flawed and, and love them anyway. Yeah, I definitely see that humanity in your characters. I want to talk a little bit about um, uh, St. Thomas and the Virgin Islands um, <clears throat> because I've been to St. Croix once, so I'm obviously an expert. Uh, Uh, (laughs) you know, you know, those people, uh, but I did, I, especially with the lesson, of course, I really like you put us on the Island with everything from like drinking the cruising rum to the blackouts. I was like, Oh, like that is so like, I'm sure you probably read other people who set their stories in St. Thomas and don't include those elements. And you can probably like clock it immediately. You're like, this is not like did you say on a resort when you went there or whatever um so I'd love to hear how you have potentially seen you know U.S. Virgin Virgin Island stories written by people who aren't there and I'd love to hear about uh writing about Boston (laughs) so so we're uh, all of that okay what kind of question I just made but (laughs) no no I, I I hear you um yeah you know surprisingly but maybe not surprisingly, there is not there are not a lot of descriptions of the Virgin Islands in, in fiction. 
Um, mm-hmm. And I, the ones that I've read, and maybe I've just done a good job of avoiding the ones that, um, the bad ones, but the ones that I've read are people from the Virgin Islands writing about the Virgin Islands. Right. And they tend to be, you know, they tend to feel pretty real and pretty accurate, you know, but, you know, there's also like this temptation um, to think that one rendering of the Virgin Islands is, is more accurate than another, or that it is the, it is, it can represent the whole thing. There's, there's different St. Thomases, if that makes sense, you know, like, you know, I'm writing from a very, um, you know, my, my mom was a single mother, but we, she had a government job. So we were, we struggled, but we were better off than some of, some of my friends, you know, and then we weren't as well off as some of my other friends, you know? And so like anyone writing about any of those different Virgin Islands will depict it differently. You know, it, it would feel different. I think those stories, um, but you know, it, it became, as I was revising the lesson, it became important to, to represent the place. I fought it for a while because um, I would workshop pieces and they would be like, you should describe this more. And I was like, I don't want to exotify my home. Like I, I wanted, it's, it's my home. It's normal. I want it to feel normal, you know, to me when I read it, you know, but it became, you know, the way that I got around that or, the way that I, you know, thought about it differently was I, you know, I realized, well, those things that make it home, I, they, they need to be on the page, you know? So, you know, because there's a reason, there's a reason when I go home, like I can, I feel like this pressure on my back ease. And that, that's, that's just, you know, the sun, the way that it smells, the, the way that it looks, you know, the way that people sound, um, and that needs to be on a page too. Like if 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 the Virgin Islands is a character, you have to describe it. And so you know, I, I try I try to do that to the best of my ability. Um, Boston was different. You know, I I've been living here. You know, I actually you know moved down to Raleigh for a teaching job, but I'm here now because um, my my wife is still here finishing up um, a, a degree, and. Um, when I was writing about St. Thomas, I kind of took for granted that I knew the place. And then I did a lot of research and realized that there was a ton of things I didn't know, but I still felt like I, I knew it enough to talk about it. Well, you know what I mean? Um, Boston, everywhere else that I've lived, I felt like a tourist. And so it was, it was, it was difficult for me to gain the courage to actually write about, you know, Somerville, you know, like my neighborhood here and um boston and the boston commons to write a scene that is said in the boston commons felt like really um like arrogant to me it's like how like you're not from here um white people do this all the time cadwell so we do this (laughs) all the time we write about places we know nothing about (laughs) right i i think I think from the other side you because you know what it's like for someone to misrepresent place for you Mm-hmm. um you you tend to be a, a lot like careful you you know or you know worried or concerned um the only i was gonna i just remember something i wanted to mention the only depiction of the virgin islands that i can remember outside of college hill which was like a bet show um kind of like fashioned off of the real world there was a season in st thomas 
um, was Weekend at Bernie's. I think it was the second one. Um, what you do you know Weekend at Bernie's? You know the like the you know there's like a dance he's like dead he's like dead it's it's a dead man and he's dead the entire time but he kind of takes on like this half-life where he like he can kind of walk and it's it's weird it's weird i cannot even explain it but some of it is set in the virgin islands of that time and it's really weird seeing like the streets from that time um that you know that's the only good one i can point to anyway um yeah, it was it was different writing about Boston. I did the same things that I did when I was writing about St. Thomas, though. I kind of like visited the, I visited everywhere that I was writing about, and I took pictures, and I um, um, made sure that I got the details right at least, even if I, um, even if I felt like I, an imposter doing so. Yeah, I uh, really appreciate so. You know, no guys, no monsters doesn't have the audiobook yet. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I, I, but I typically read a book and listen to the audio at the same time. Me too. Um, it's I, the I best. The time, they're like, why would you listen to both? Like, do one or the other? I'm like, no, because it, and so it was really. Like, Amber ends up pronouncing everything correctly too. Like, yes. I, I will miss right. things, but because she listened to the audio book. She's like, no, you said it wrong. I was like, oh. or when they get it. I think also as a, an actor and a voice actor, I really appreciate when they choose a, a actor that c- can speak or with the dialogue, with the accent and stuff. So I, I really mm-hmm. like those elements. And so I found like myself in trying to do it in my head and no guys, no monsters, but there were some words where I was like, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this. What's the one that was like, I think it's like P-A-H-N-A-H or something. Pana. I, I remember... Is that like the N word for the Caribbean? I, I was thinking like, wh- wh- how would you describe that word? Sort of. So it it doesn't have the well, you know, even even N word with the A at the end has like a certain level of baggage. You know, you, you can, you know, black people will argue about whether or not you should even use it that way and blah blah right. blah. Pana is is like dude, like it's like guy. Got it. You but know, I like thinking, I was like, oh, maybe this is a word like how we use like nigga this nigga that i was like oh maybe mm-hmm. this is the caribbean version of that like i, I really yeah. was trying to do that work in my head but i thank you for confirming that i was like ah yeah but no I, I really liked listening to the what so i was i was curious like as this goes into production are you going to get like a, a a boston accent person or a caribbean person or i don't know <laughs> um um no you're like i don't touch any of that stuff <laughs> I wish I wish it was it's so complicated. This stuff is so hard. Um, like when I when we did the lesson, we we didn't find anybody that was from the St. Thomas specifically. We just found people that were could could reference the accent relatively speaking, because they they have a Caribbean background and they have Caribbean family and they they are they can they can do the Caribbean accent. And we um for this one we have um a voice actor, um Dion Graham. He's um, you know, pretty, you know, pretty amazing. He's um he's and he's really good with accents. So we'll see what he does with the Boston accent. I don't know what he'll do. I don't know what he'll do with the St. Thomas accent, but um yeah, I I wish, you know, I wish it was like, and this was a thing, I was doing an event with some other Caribbean writers, and we were talking about it, where there's there's just not enough Caribbean narrators, you know, and that is a that is a thing that is 
you know, complicated and fraught. You really want, like, ideally I would want from someone from St. Thomas playing, you know, you know, Cal and telling the story from that perspective, but it's, it's just, it, that's not going to happen. Not the way, not the way we would hope. I got you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I'm, I'm from Georgia. So whenever uh, a book is set in Georgia, I can pretty much clock it right away. I'm like this, they are not, or, or, Mm -hmm. or, you can tell like, oh, you did your research and then you got the the narrator to have a Southern draw. Like, so it, so it does matter. Like it's cause it's a whole mm-hmm. experience. So, but I, I totally understand like the, the lack of, or, or the, the lack of access to like all of this stuff um, in different places. Yeah. Right. You get it both ways. You'll, I, you know, was talking to family members about it. And I was like, what do you think about it? I know it's not St. Tony. It's like, they were like close enough, you know. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, we're just so proud of you. You're yeah, so yeah. Who cares? It's like, it's fine. You, It's it's done, whatever. Um, And then you'd go, you know, we, in that conversation I was having with the other authors, they were they're definitely like frustrated by it, you know? And some people are like, that is not the St. Tomian accent. But most people, because they recognize how difficult it is to find the right narrator from the right place in the, you know, all of these islands are are small places and there's so many of them. Um, the, the thing that is, that they, you won't get away with is if the, if, a, if the person is talking and it sounds too Jamaican. Mm. And that's, and that's not no no shade against Jamaica, <laughs> but that's just because yeah that's just because everything kind of gets flattened to Jamaica because of um, how people see the Caribbean. They think it's all the same, and so yeah, it's like you try to get Jamaica in their brain. Yeah, right. Like a Caribbean standard is the is the you know way to go. And yeah, you're going to be borrowing from different dialects when you do that. But um, if it sounds too Jamaican, I think that's the thing that will frustrate um, someone from, you know, the Virgin Isles, particularly listening to the audiobook. Well, we are all out of time. Uh, is there uh, any other projects you have working on? I know this, you said this is going to be a trilogy. Uh, so, yeah. What what other things do we have to look forward to? Yeah. So right now, so I did No Gods, No Monsters. And um, I've been working on the second book, We Are the Crisis. And it's been... So No Gods, No Monsters was challenging because it was my second book. I, you know, as I said, like the lesson kind of came together almost by accident. <laughs> and so I was like, could I actually pull this off intentionally? And, you know, I managed it, but now I'm trying to do a follow-up in the trilogy. And I'm like, this needs to be good. This needs to, you know, follow the first one well and set up the third. And so I've been like, you know, you know, hard at work trying to make sure that, you know, the stuff is right there. And so, yeah, that's, that's my main thing. I have a, a project that's, um, they haven't announced it yet, but we're very close to wrapping up with, with Realm. They're like um, an audio narrative company to kind of build themselves as a, like the HBO of audio, you know, storytelling. And, you know, it's um, generally speaking, it's, a, it's about time travel in Tulsa, um, specifically, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm very, know. I'm very excited about it. Um, and I, you know, a couple stories coming out in the fall. A couple stories I need to write for the fall. I, I actually, um, <laughs> I, um, Nisi, Nisi Shaw, 
you know, she does her own work, but she also is a um, an editor. And so she's doing the second volume to the New Sons anthology. Sense. Yeah. And I gotta gotta write that story. <laughs> um, do. Yeah. And um, recently, you know, um, I had a story in the, you know, the Black Panther anthology, Tales of Wakanda. Um, yeah, that's, that's really what I'm up to. And then, you know, hopefully seeing, you know, hopefully things are going to be moving forward with the lesson with EMC, um, you know, fingers crossed on that. We're going to put all those links, uh, Tales of Wakanda, we'll put that inside the, 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 the description and then the HBO of audio realm, you said, uh, we'll, we will be looking forward to that. Awesome. Ooh, get some sleep. You are busy. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I keep waiting for the time when the things slow down. It's this. It's this is just the, how it is now. <laughs> yeah, 2020 yeah. is not your year. No. What year is it? Yeah, maybe next year you'll get some some rest and a vacation because you're so busy. It, I love it. It is my hope. Yeah, and I just started a teaching job too, which is a, which is the other thing. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. No, and I and I love it, but it's also like my whole 2020. I started it during the pandemic. It, it was just like a a vacuum of time. It, it was just a lot of, you know, just getting used to things, but also not being able to adequately get used to things because the pandemic was happening and trying to get writing done at the same time and keep up with this stuff with the book. And um, yeah, the summer has been catch up. Maybe next summer we'll be, we'll be <laughs> like, time to find a pool. go home go to St. Thomas and hang out at the beach all day. Well, we want to thank you so, so much for spending your morning with us and letting us Absolutely. your brain. And thank you just for being so vulnerable and sharing about everything with your father and your family. Um, we really appreciate it. So it's always great to talk to people that are excited, as excited or, you know, reasonably excited about your work as you are. And so I really appreciate you all just taking the time to read both books and Ask me all of these really great questions, some deep questions that I've never, you know, had the privilege of, you know, answering before and, you know, just really appreciate you both. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Sci-Fi Side podcast. Up next is episode 52. Y'all know what that means. We are celebrating one year of this podcast by listening to listeners like you and answering y'all's questions. So we're going to do a Q&A. So be sure to submit the rest of your questions using the link in the episode notes. And we will see y'all next week to kick off our one year celebration. Bye, y'all. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.